many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhumans, it's Boomer Anderson. Let's dive into this one. My guest today is Doc Parsley. He is a traditionally trained Western medicine doctor who discovered that his medical training did not provide him with the necessary information and expertise to improve and maintain his patient's health. He's also a Navy SEAL and a former doctor to the Navy SEALs. So today we talked a little bit about sleep, as you can imagine. We talked a little bit about the problems with sleep drugs. We talked peptides. We talked sleep hygiene and really the two things that you need to optimize your sleep. And of course, we talked about Doc Parsley's sleep remedy. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Doc Parsley. That's D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y. Enjoy my episode with Kirk Parsley. Doc Parsley, Kirk, welcome to the show. Thank you. I feel very welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to my humble abode and what you can see, my humble new office. So I want to kick things off with your background as a Navy SEAL, because I imagine, or at least what I've read, obviously I haven't gone through it myself. Uh, it can bring and really shape people's view of the world. And so I'd love to hear just sort of how your experience as a SEAL shaped your view of the world, but also your view on sort of modern complications leading to health issues. And that's a two-part question, I imagine. Yeah. That, yeah and it's a, it's a pretty wide, widely spread two-part questions uh, for the reasons I'll go into right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was, I was a SEAL, I was, I was a young, um, rubbery, uh, invincible, you know, 20 something year old uh he really just you know ascribed to the motto just you know put your head down run harder work harder that you know uh we knew uh, you know it's actually i mean the, the, the second part of that question really uh, the applicable part of the the second part of the question is when i was a doctor for the seals and it blows a lot of people away. So when I, I was a SEAL from 1988 to 1994, and then I got out and I went to college and got married, had kids, all sorts of stuff, and went back to medical school, went to the military's medical school, and then went back to the SEAL teams as a doctor there. So two, two completely different views. Um, when, you know, when I went through SEAL training, obviously they, the, in, the entire point of buds which is like the basic training for seals the entire point of that not to teach you how to be a seal obviously you can't teach someone how to be a seal in six to eight months it's just to beat you down and see where your limitations are and i personally believe while it's never been no one has ever confirmed it and i've asked a lot of people but no one no one will confirm it i i really think that hell week is is uh designed to screen out people who are susceptible to psychotic breaks um, because sleep deprivation um, leads to all sorts of mental problems. And if you're sort of predisposed, like um, that's the type of thing that would send you off the deep end and you, you know, become forwardly psychotic and they would say, okay, you're probably not a good fit for a guy to, um, you know, carry, 
carry a machine gun around and <laughs> be responsible for the lives of others if you get this way after you're a little sleep deprived. So we got a full week without sleep. Um, just like I said, it, it's just part of a beat down. It's try to get everybody to quit, see how, you know, see how people do when they're cold and wet and miserable and sleep deprived. Uh, and then they kind of start training a little bit more with some things that are more applicable to it. It's really just to weed people out and see who's, who's, who is resilient enough to deal with the training. Because what most people don't realize is that the job is actually harder than the training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, uh, in, in different ways, but it's, it's a really difficult job. So, um, there's some great lessons that come out of that. It's a great place to spend your twenties because you get to, you basically get paid to learn hobbies that every other 20 year old wants to do. Um, you know, you're skydiving and rock climbing and scuba diving and, you know, driving sand rails around the desert and motorcycles and blowing things up and shooting guns. Like what 20 year old doesn't want to do that. And you're going to pay to do it. It's like, great. Like, um, but you know, it is super hard on the body. And so, uh, when I went back to the SEAL teams as their doctor, you know, one thing that, um, I, I, I think maybe as an obvious is that being, uh, being any kind of special forces operator, like any type of elite sort of military operator, whether it's a jet pilot or, you know, like a fighter pilot or Navy SEAL or, you know, anything kind of in that ilk. Um, it's a lot like being a professional athlete and that you, you have to stay what they call qualified at all times. Right. And so, um, like one, one bad enough medical instance will send you out mm-hmm. and things like, you know, admitting mood issues that, you know, might justifiably need medication. And so those types of things are really taboo. So, um, by and large seals treat doctors like the enemy and, and, uh, you know, they're going into the lion's den when they, when they come to see you and they essentially lie. I mean, they'll, <laughs> they'll duct tape themselves together and say, yeah, I'm perfect. Like not, not a single problem. And just so they can go back to work because being, getting kicked out of the work, that's their life, you know, getting put on the bench. There's nothing else for them to do. Um, and they feel like they've let all their friends down and all that stuff. So I was in a unique position, having been a former seal and I'd been a SEAL recently enough to where there were still plenty of SEALs at the SEAL teams who I had been a SEAL with. Um, so they knew me enough to trust me and they came in and they would shut the door behind, clo- you know, behind closed doors. They would just tell me everything. And that, the job is impossible mm-hmm. to do without breaking yourself down. Just, I mean, the performance require, the performance requirements are of course, you know, amongst the highest in the world. I mean, you just, you just always have to be able to perform. There's no seasons. There's no on, off season and on season. You know, like that, you know, there's no consistency. It's not like you're playing on the same kind of field with the same rules and the same element. Like, I mean, everything's different every time you have to be ready all the time. There's always new training. It's always, it's an incredible job to have to be good at. Like you have to know so much people don't realize it has very little to do with, uh, pointing a gun and shooting. There's a million things you have to know. Um, so cognitive performance is just as important as physical comp- uh, performance. And that's a really, obviously it's a very physical taxing job. So, but, you know, just kind of the way the military works, they don't, they don't allow people to break down. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're breaking down, then, um, 
you don't get to do what you've been training your whole life to do at that point, you know, or the past 20 years of your life. And who's, who's the best at it, right? The guys who've been around the longest. So you really need those guys around for the experience. Um, and so, you know, they would come and tell me all their problems and none of it was disease. Mm-hmm. It just, they weren't performing to the level that they wanted to perform at, which is exactly who all my clients are right now. And it's exactly the audience I speak to 99% of the time. We aren't talking about sick, diseased people. We're talking about people who are fairly healthy and sometimes robustly healthy, but they just want to be better at something. And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Smarter, better, you know, like better parents, better husbands, better at their jobs, better business leaders. Um, I think that's kind of the paradigm shift in, in uh, medicine that I, that I really enjoy. And so, you know, what I learned at the SEAL teams is like, no matter how tough you are, like there are, I went through SEAL training with guys that I just idolize as being the most rugged humans on the planet. And of course they break down too, and they have to have lots of surgeries and they, they get depressed and they get some mood issues and they have some motivation issues and they get to a point where they can't keep their body composition the way they need it to. And they're not as strong and not as fast and, uh, and what to do, you know? And so, um, what I was going to say is in 2009, when I got to the SEAL teams as the doctor, so um, keep, you know, keep in mind that the, you know, the, the SEAL teams started in the late 60s. In 2009, we, we built our very first sports medicine facility. Like it, oh, wow. it finally occurred to somebody that maybe we should treat these guys like athletes. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe we, should ha- maybe we should have some things to help them recover. And so... Like, you know, we got our very first physical therapist and physical therapy assistant and our very first athletic trainer and our very first strength and conditioning coach and our very first nutritionist and all of this stuff that everybody in the world would have assumed that the SEALs would have had for 20 or 30 years. I thought so. And this is, this is brand new <laughs> stuff to them. Um, and so thankfully that part has, um, that part has caught up to probably where it should be. But the military being a big bureaucratic organization, they're about 10 years behind, um, you know, the private sector. And so the type of performance, um, performance enhancements and, um, you know, sort of lifespan optimization, performance optimization, that type of and regenerative medicine, like peptides and hormones and stem cells, that stuff hasn't reached the military Mm -hmm. yet. So those guys are still having to, pay on the outside to go do that type of stuff. And they all need it. I mean, you can't be, you know, you can't do that kind of work for 20 years um, and not just be really, you know, really broken. Um, I think the average SEAL retires with like 21 surgeries or something ridiculous wow. like that. So, so um, you know, the first thing that, you know, when the, first of all, when they came to me and told me their problems, I had no idea what to do. <laughs> like, I don't know. I went to medical school. They taught me how to treat disease and you don't have any diseases. Mm-hmm. So I better, I better start getting my learn on real quick. So I, I you know, I just started, um, go, you know, going online first and reading and then ordering books and then watching lectures and then going to symposiums. And fortunately because of my position with the SEAL teams, almost all of the, uh, you know, sort of experts and thought leaders and all that stuff were more than willing to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would allow me to come train with them and they'd uh, allow me to consult with patients on them and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the first thing that I noticed 
noted with them. And this is the first thing that happens actually when I have um, private clients right now that are saved business owners are, you know, they're, they've been entrepreneurs for 25 years and just, you know, they've just been burning the candle at both ends and grinding through life. And they're excited and love what they do, but they're breaking down and you do their blood labs and they have the, you know, they have the hormones, inflammatory cascades, insulin sensitivity, and blood glucose of like a pre-diabetic 70-year-old, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's what these seals were like at, you know, 38 years old and 40 years old. And and then, again, not quite disease. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know. This doesn't seem to fit. Um, and uh, somewhere along, you know, the hundreds of people who told me this, I picked up, you know, that every single guy had told me that he was using Ambien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, huh, I wonder what Ambien does. You know, like I never had any classes on sleep in medical school. All I, I knew was give people a sleep drug if they can't sleep and, you know, talk to them about a little bit of sleep hygiene, like three things I knew, like every other doctor, I knew Jack about it. And then when we start learning about sleep, it was almost like a sleight of hand for me to be able to talk to, the SEAL teams about their hormones because that was a taboo subject. Hormones are what people use to cheat in sports and all that. And they're banned and, and special forces just like they are in sports and all that. So not really allowed to talk about that. But since all your hormones are really regulated during sleep, I could talk about hormones in, in the world of sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was really kind of, you know, skating around the system to talk about hormones. But then the deeper I went down, this actually is is ninety percent of the answer. It was Occam's razor. You know, it's, it's the only unifying theory for this huge list of symptoms that they had that you know weren't within any biological systems in their body. They were just across all levels, all domains of performance, and they all had the same ones. Um, and so, sleep was the one thing that would explain the vast majority of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I got interested in sleep, um, and then. You know what? Probably the most important lesson that I um, that I took from my SEAL training, my days in in the SEAL teams, um, and still I have a ton of friends and clients that are SEALs. And uh, you know the sort of the unspoken motto is you you can do anything you want. You literally can. I mean, it, it, we tell that to the little kids, and it's kind of BS when we're saying it. You can do. You can be any. You can. You really can do anything you want. But there's a price, and you have to be willing to pay the price for whatever you want. Um, and uh, so, like, I, I paid a pretty heavy price to do non-traditional medicine. That, you know, I got in a lot of trouble. The Bureau of Medicine was not happy with me. <laughs> um, just about every every other week, um, I was you know getting uh, I was getting scolded and threatening letters and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just figured, you know what, I can help the guys more on the outside than on the inside. And, um, so I left, went into private practice and I don't know what's been five, six, seven, six or seven years now. Um, still doing my thing. (laughs) Beautiful. Now there's so many follow on questions that I would love to ask, especially about that Bureau of Medicine issue, but, um, I want to talk a little bit because it applies this, the audience listening is, you know, predominantly high performers, CEOs, entrepreneurs, et cetera. Um, people who do have issues or prior, um, 
misbeliefs about sleep. How do you have that conversation with a SEAL or some of your clients now? Because there's certain people listening that still believe that sleep is the cousin of death, right? And so... Time to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to talk a little bit about sleeping better. If you're enjoying this conversation and you want to explore the world of sleep remedy, head over to docparsley.com. That's D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y.com and plug in the code decoding superhuman. You'll get 10% off your first order. Sleep well, my friends, and back to the episode. Right. The, the Jocko 430. The <laughs> <laughs> I know Jocko really well. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a, I consider him a, a good friend. He's my, you know, jujitsu instructor for a few years and good guy worked with mm-hmm. him. Um, and, you know, there is a, you know, there obviously is a component of any type of goal setting that requires discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, controlling your sleep, wake wake cycle is probably the most important aspect of discipline, regardless of what your goals are. Um, cause it's the only way to optimize your performance and it's the only way to, um, it, it's the safest bet to keeping you consistently at or near the top of your game, um, for the longest time, uh, nutrition helps, of course, exercise helps, of course, meditation, all sorts of things are adjunct, but nothing is anywhere close to sleep. Um, so if you regulate your sleep wake cycles to be aligned with your body's, uh, circadian and ultradian rhythms, you're going to perform the best you ever perform. Um, completely undis- uh, undisputable, but, um, indisputable, um, but to your point, it is the hardest thing I do. So when I, when I have a private client um, come to me now, now let me back up. So the seals were pretty easy actually, mm-hmm. because I had rapport with those guys. They trusted me and I could get on stage and I would talk to them for an hour and a half about their hormones and how sleep was regulating their hormones. They didn't have to know a whole lot of physiology to understand that they wanted their growth hormone and testosterone to be higher and their estrogen to be lower and their insulin sensitivity to be higher and their inflammation to be lower. Like that wasn't, that wasn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. They could pick up on that. And so most of them were willing to try. And then, yeah, the SEAL teams, like any sort of organization like that, has a huge word of mouth power to it. So mm-hmm. all it takes is a few guys to say, well, hey, I've been doing this. Or they notice, hey, man, you're really like you're really getting fit or you're like, you really, you know, like you're really up on your game. You really seem to be doing great. And they all talk about what they do. There's no secrecy. They're not competing like athletes in that sense. They're just like, everybody wants to, everyone to be the best. Um, so for the field, I about the things that I knew would motivate them. And when I talk to professional sports teams, I do pretty much the same thing. Uh, law enforcement and, first responders, not, not as much, you know, talk a lot more about cognitive performance with those guys, but basically you have to find the right carrot for the stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person has to be motivated, but you're exactly right. It's the hardest thing to get people to do. It's the hardest thing to get people to believe because everybody believes it's a waste of time, that it's downtime. If you're an entrepreneur, time is money. And therefore while you're sleeping, you're wasting money. Um, mm-hmm. You're wasting it. And, and it's, it's just not true. I mean, all the research, 
sleep's one of the the is a unique branch of science. If you look at nutritional sciences, I'm sure you're aware of, you can find 20,000 studies that say you should be a vegan and 20,000 studies that say you should be keto and everything in between. There's a lot of controversy. There's no controversy in sleep. Mm -hmm. Everybody has always turned out the same information. It's like you always perform better when you sleep in alignment with as close to the alignment with, you know, the circadian, your circadian rhythm as possible. And you sleep seven and a half hours plus or minus half an hour. Like that's it. Like every, everybody, it comes out every time. We're running out of ways to produce that same data. I mean, it's just over and over and over again. However, people still think, well, if I just cut this back a little, I'll be able to get one extra hour of work. I'll be able to get it a little bit ahead of my competitor with this or that. Well, if you look at entrepreneurs, they should be the easiest because they know damn good and well. It's their, bot, it's their brain that's making them good to being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And specifically the prefrontal cortex, right? Because that's like our executive functioning, which is what a, you know, what a CEO is, is an executive, right? And all of your executive functioning is occurring in your prefrontal cortex. And that is the area of your brain that's most affected by sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this blog one time about why, why, uh, why you should have, I forget the title, something snarky, like, uh, why you should why you should always have a drunk CEO or something like that? Um, because the the data is the data is completely clear. Again, it's been redone hundreds, if not thousands, of times. When you get a little bit of sleep deprivation in there, and especially when you do it consistently, we can compare your performance in any realm you want, like your ability to communicate, your ability to problem solve, do math plan, execute ideas, come up with new ideas, lift heavy weights, run far, like anything you want to measure yourself by, we can prove without a doubt that you will be worse with less sleep. Um, And you will be, you know, you'll be your best if you do this. So uh, when I talk to entrepreneurs and I'm like, hey, your prefrontal cortex is impaired when you miss one hour of sleep, you lose like 30% of your, of your executive functioning. Don't you think that's kind of a big idea? Um, and then w- they've compared that performance to drinking alcohol. And that's one of the, you mentioned my TED talk earlier. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I say in that. Like if, if you sleep six hours a night, which is two hours less than you need on average, if you do that for 12 days in a row, you perform on every battery of tests, you perform as though you have a blood alcohol level of 0.08, which is the same as like the legal limit for drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. So if you think sleeping six hours a night is a good idea because you get to work earlier and you stay you know, work a little later, then it should also be a good idea that you should be slightly drunk all the time because it's <laughs> the same damn thing. It's the same thing, right? It's like, I'm never going to get drunk. I'm just going to have like one shot every two hours. So I'm just like kind of on that edge. Um, and that's when I'm going to perform the best. Yeah. Who wants to hire that CEO? Nobody, yeah. but everybody wants to hire the CEO that doesn't need sleep. Man, that guy just got yeah. right. So it's still the hardest thing though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I, when I work with people, I, I only work with people that are willing to work across all domains of health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could tell them, you know, I could tell them, I don't want you to eat anything but salads for the next six months. And they'd be like, all right. And they'd take notes and I'd say, that's what they're going to do. 
Um, and I could give them a prescriptive exercise routine and they'd say, sure. And I'd give them a meditation kind of training and for sure, like whatever you, whatever you say, doc, then I want you to sleep eight hours a night. And I go, Oh, 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 hold up. I can't do, I can't do that. Like that's <laughs> too much. You're talking crazy stuff now. I'm like, um, nope. It's really hard to overcome, um, you know, social misconceptions around it, that it has something to do with being weak or lazy or unmotivated or, you know, that it's somehow wasteful. If you get up, if you're one hour sleep deprived, you'll lose at least an hour and 15 minutes worth of efficiency during the day. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty linear by the time you haven't slept. You know, like if you stay up for 24 hours and you try to do executive type functioning, you just might as well not be there. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you, you can't do it. Um, you're, you're stuck so bad. It takes you about five hours to do 30 minutes worth of work. And people are getting close to that with just, you know, missing two hours a night for six months and a year and 10 years. And they do it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it, it's a lot like alcohol and that it's insidious, right? Because you're just slowly getting worse. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of becomes the new norm, right? It's like, I'm almost 50 and pretty much everything I do hurts, right? <laughs> like when I go, like when I'm working around the house, oh, that hurts. When I go to the gym, oh, that pretty much hurts. Like everything kind of hurts. It's just the new, new norm for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember a few months ago, I don't remember exactly what was going on. I'd, be, I'd been doing a bunch of ice baths and being really, really consistent with um, saunas and all that stuff. And I, and I remember walking around one morning and, <laughs> and I was like in this kind of floaty haze. There was something just surreal about the day and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I realized I didn't hurt. Yeah. Like I'm not in any pain. I was like, Oh my God, I forgot that I forgot about this. <laughs> I didn't know this was possible. I feel so damn good. Um, and then, and sleep's the same way you get people. And the other beautiful thing about sleep is like when I, when you talk about nutrition, and especially when you get to the vanity component of like, you know, do you have six back abs or whatever, you know, um, it takes a while to get results, man. And mm -hmm. so it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of objective reality. I and mean, that's the, that's the valid reason for taking the pictures is because you'll, you'll slowly change and not really realize that you've changed and think you haven't made any progress, but it takes a while to make progress in most every domain except sleep mm -hmm. like you sleep well for one week and you will and you will you'll you'll know it you will say you can at least make the conscious decision at that point and i and i tell this people i tell that's so what i tell my patients i'm like it's a seven day challenge everything else is a 30 day or 60 day or 90 day there's a seven day challenge like and you don't just sleep eight hours like you have to sleep at the right time right and you yeah. have and you have to ritualize it and be serious about it motivated about it disciplined with it and you get your sleep for eight hours and then you just measure yourself in any parameter that you value and you'll realize that you're a much better human being and you feel better um and you enjoy life more and you'll enjoy your business more and you'll enjoy your family more and yourself more and um and then you know once they get that week under their belt you know they you know we all we all have to push sometimes you know i mean there's there's times where i stay up till one o'clock in the morning and because i have to grind away on something and i get crappy sleep and i'm tired the next day and but that's the only way it could get done. You know, I'm traveling, you know, flying overseas. Sometimes it happens, but it's like anything else. It's where you live that matters. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you eat well all the time and your kid wants to have pizza for his birthday, have pizza with your kid. You know, it's like, 
It's okay. It, it just it's just a day yeah. of pizza, you know. You know, go out with your buddies and have some beers and fish and chips. You know, like do like enjoy your life. But, but you know, it, it's it's where you live that matters. You can visit anywhere. Just don't just don't stay there too long, or that's what you'll become. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, these occupations come with sort of, uh, I guess, occupational hazards, right? Uh, for the mm-hmm. entrepreneur CEO, jet lag is something that comes to mind often. Is there anything in particular that people can do with that in order to optimize it? Because, you know, you hear strategies, anything from like Uberman sleep, which I think was originated by the Navy SEALs to, to just getting a lot of sunlight, et cetera. But is there anything in particular that you found to be useful? You know, there, there's a lot of things that are useful. Mm -hmm. Um, and as long as everyone realizes that what we're talking about is mitigation, mm-hmm. right? Your performance is going to be worse. It is worse for your health. It's worth, it's worse for you in general to do this. However, it does have to be done. Mm-hmm. Everyone realizes that. Um, so, you, you know, everyone has to do it, especially as entrepreneurs. Um, and all I can say is that there are dozens of mitigation tools, right? There's, you, you know, there's bright light therapy in the morning. There's of course the blue blocking glasses at night. There's, you know, uh, if you do exercise late at night, it pushes your sleep time a little further away. If you do exercise first thing in the morning it brings your sleep time a little closer to you. Um, you have, of course, supplements that help. There's, you know, as you alluded to making sure you get sunlight, uh, not just for the actual, you know, for the photocells in your eyeballs, but actually for your, you know, for your skin and vitamin D3 production and lots of other uh, physiological reactions that are going on there. And then, and there's nothing, but there's no, like, it's, as far as I know, um, and if I could figure it out, I'd sell it, you know, <laughs> but uh, there's no, that there, there's no like formulaic thing that I can do. Well, this is definitely what you can do. Like I've written a lot of blogs. A lot of people have written a lot of blogs and here's, some rules and it's fairly complex because it depends what time you know what time are you traveling what time do you ordinarily sleep what time do you need to be at your best when you are going where you're going how many days do you have to get to your best um you know basically it takes anywhere from um half a day to three days um for your circadian rhythm to move one time zone so if you fly across one time zone very best scenario, very, very best case scenario. Um, it's going to take you half a day to kind of catch up and be where you would have mm-hmm. been. Um, if you fly, you know, whatever from here to London, you know, that's what nine, eight or nine time mm-hmm. zones. You're looking at like a week before you're going to be normal there, you know, performing, performing at your peak. And most people don't go even for a week, right? They're going for just a few days to have a few meetings and like, they're going to bounce back. So, you know, I, I remember um, Tim Ferriss kind of getting excoriated over this uh, uh, thing that he wrote on um, uh, basically where you sleep in chunks through the day. It's like, the, a, it's very uh, obvious. The Uberman it's sleep. Yeah. Uh, Uberman is kind of the brain the brand of it, the brand name of it, but, um, yeah, it'll come to me during, uh, during the next sentence, whatever. It's just a very descriptive word for what you're doing. Um, and you're just basically chunking sleep hours down when you can. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and again like people try to make that really formulaic and it's just not um basically the idea is if you can get a sleep cycle in which is an hour and a half to two hours you can get that much of a nap you're getting some real sleep if you're only getting 20 minute naps you're kind of helping with your prefrontal cortex and nothing else Mm -hmm. um so you you try to do this um you, you try to do this sleep schedule and the seals of course have been doing that forever and so have all sorts of other organizations um because you can't convince the enemy to only fight during the daylight and you know you can't convince criminals to not commit crimes that you know when everyone's sleeping and all that other stuff so this you know this has always had to exist um and he get he just got excoriated for oh that doesn't work because it's not it's like yeah it doesn't it it doesn't replace sleep Mm -hmm. but it's better than nothing like it's it's a mitigation tool um and it it definitely you know it, it definitely has its utility um you know getting you know getting ten thousand lux lighted 30 degrees above your line of sight for you know 60 to 90 minutes in the morning helps it doesn't replace sleep and it doesn't it doesn't put you back on your circadian rhythm it helps you adjust faster you know taking supplements help but they're supplemental they aren't they don't nothing replaces sleep so and, you know, that's not a super popular answer. And, and it's, uh, I would say the actionable version of that answer is there are lots of things that will help a little bit. And if you're, if you're smart enough to be the CEO and running a company and being an entrepreneur, you're smart enough to get on Google and figure out the things that you're actually willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that makes sense to you and you can go to like i said you can go to my my website and read blogs but there's tons of blogs out there mm-hmm. so that's the best answer i have for you <laughs> <laughs> no i appreciate the truth and sometimes actually the truth hurts uh as i just flew back from yeah. portland oregon a couple of days ago i i know the feeling about trying to adjust faster rather than slower yeah. so yeah. we talked a little bit about body composition and sleep earlier and some of the things around insulin sensitivity, et cetera. I want to transition now into sleep hygiene because getting um, yourself prepared for sleep and optimizing things like your environment are often overlooked. Do you mind just touching a little bit on the elements of, or the essential elements of sleep hygiene? How can somebody just set themselves up for the win? I would love to. This is one of my favorite things to simplify. It took me a long time to simplify it. Um, probably five, five years or something mm-hmm. to get it down to there's only, there's only two things you need to mm-hmm. know. All right. So um, as recently as maybe two years ago, uh, there was a, a study published in nature magazine about um, hunter gatherers who had never been exposed to electricity in their entire lives, um, no artificial light, of course, and they followed these people to see how how they slept and how many hours they slept and what time they fell asleep and what time they woke up. And to nobody's surprise, um, they fell asleep about three hours after the sun went down, three to three and a half hours, and they woke up right around the time the sun was coming up. Shocker, right? Mm-hmm. right? Um, and the reasoning behind that basically is that uh, uh, 
there really is no that the best definition for being asleep is lack of awakeness. Right? So, <laughs> I, you know, it's completely rhetorical, means nothing in that sense, but it, it's the truth. So we don't have, we don't, I mean, and this is an oversimplification, but we don't really have like biological systems that push us into sleep. We have biological systems that allow us to become less awake mm -hmm. and less aware of our environment. And if we allow those things to do their work, at some point, we won't be aware of our environment anymore. Mm -hmm. That's when we're asleep. That's really what it means. And that was William DeMent's definition of sleep was, there's a barrier between you and your environment, and you can be awakened. And that, and that was it. And this is like, this is the grandfather of sleep medicine. After decades of research, this was his definition. Um, so that, of course, meaning that if you, you know, if you drink a bottle of whiskey or get hit in the head and you're not aware of your environment, you can't be woken up. So that's not sleep. That's unconscious. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what sleep drugs do is they make you unconscious. So what's happening when the sun goes down and the biochemicals and your brain start, start shifting, what they're really doing is they're making your brain less susceptible to the effects of stress hormones. And they're making your brain less aware of your environment. Mm -hmm. So you're feeling less, you're smelling less, you're seeing less, you're hearing less. We've all been in that kind of pre-sleep pre stage, which is um, sometimes called stage one sleep, where you're kind of aware of your environment, you know, but you're not really responding to it, but you can hear other people talking in the other room and you know you're not quite awake and you're kind of in this transitional phase. So all that's happening, the sun goes out of your eyes. That's the blue light sensor. It has nothing to do with vision. It's just blue light. Blue light tells your brain it's time to be awake. My guess is because the sky is blue. Mm -hmm don't really know but once the blue light goes out your brain's like okay it's not time to be awake anymore and you could think like evolutionarily ancestrally it makes sense that we aren't we're pretty crappy predators period but we're really we're even worse at night right and we're much more likely to be prey than predators um it makes sense that our bodies just evolved to okay you better be asleep during this time be awake during this time so when the, when the light goes down in your eyes, that starts this whole cascade of events, which ultimately ends with the production of melatonin, which everybody, almost everybody's aware of, is a hormone in your brain that's associated with sleep. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other things. There's hundreds of other things going on, but that's like we always like to talk about the end product because it makes, it makes us sound smart like we really know what's <laughs> going on. And we don't. It's like we kind of know, like this thing. But there's a lot of intermediates, and everything has its own actions these stress hormones like epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, which are wake promoting. These are the things that make you feel awake and make you feel alert and make you active. So you're becoming less sensitive to those, but then it's also having below the neck effects where you're producing less of those. So you're decreasing the wake promoting hormones, neurotransmitters. The other thing that you're doing is through a molecule called GABA is one of the big players. And again, there's lots of players. You're increasing the amount of what we call polarity. So, you know, a cell, like a cell has an electrical kind of um, pulse, a, a voltage, a resting voltage. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if you put enough, um, you put enough voltage into there, then you'll call this that cell, that neuron to fire. And that leads to other neurons firing in this long chain. And maybe that's hearing a noise or smelling something or seeing something or having a thought. <clears throat> but Get, what GABA does is it lowers the threshold and it, well, it lowers the resting potential. It makes it harder to 
be to pay attention to your environment. Mm -hmm. And the evidence of all of this, which all people have seen, I think, or most everyone can identify with this. So, you know, probably in your 20s or something, but maybe 30s, 40s, whatever, no judgment, you've woken up like exhausted and you don't want to go to work and you're like trying to figure out if you can call in sick and like, man, this sucks. Like, I'm so tired. And then, you know, you pull yourself off and you say, I'm going to go work. But as soon as work's over, I'm coming home and going to sleep, mm -hmm. right? And then your friends talk you into going and having a beer at happy hour. And then you like, which is a CNS depressant and should make you more sleepy. But you have a couple of beers and you start chatting with your friends and telling stories and maybe, you know, checking out people of the opposite sex and all on all this. And now all of a sudden you feel completely awake and you're not tired anymore. What the hell happened? Yeah. You just blew right past all that GABA effect <laughs> and you kept producing more stress hormones to be awake. So if you want to be able to go to sleep about three hours after the sun goes down, you have to pretend like you don't have electricity and you're not going out to happy hour with your friends. That's really all there is to do. You have to calm your, you have to calm your activities and you have to decrease the light in your eyes. And you can do that with, you know, the flux on your computer. If you use your computer or there's, you know, filters for televisions now and phones and all that stuff, you can wear the blue blocking glasses. You can dim the lights in your house. You know, all of that type of stuff helps decrease the amount of light in your eyes. That leads to one cascade and then decrease the amount of stimulation to your body. Um, you know, people, uh, people think, well, if I wear these blue blocking glasses, then I can work on my computer until 9.59 and then go get in bed at 10. I should be asleep by 10.15. No, because your brain's awake, mm -hmm. man. Like you're going and, and, you, and you have to, you still have to do that reset. And that's one of the, that's the primary reason that I made my sleep supplement a nighttime tea mm -hmm. is because I wanted to force people to think about it. Right. I wanted to force people to at least try to do a 30 minute bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if you take pills to help you go to sleep, you, people usually take those while they're in yeah, bed. Yeah. You take, <laughs> you take them knock out, drink water and then lay down like, why am I not asleep yet? Why am I not asleep yet? You know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little glib, but it's very, it's very accurate. If you've, you know, if you've ever had kids or if you've ever been a kid, you might remember that there is this really protracted bedtime routine, mm -hmm. right? You don't take a three-year-old who's playing with trucks and put them in bed and be like, turn the lights out and walk out. That's never going <laughs> to work. Why? Because they're not ready to go to sleep. So, and they don't even have any stress, right? So we're, we're not talking about stress ones. We're just talking about weight promotion. And what do we, what do we do with them? Well, we calm things down. Like there's no rough and tumble play for like an hour or two before bed. And like the, you know, lights go off in the house and everything gets a little more sedate. And then you go take a bath and then you put on your comfy pajamas and you powder up a little bit and you lay in bed and you read stories and lots of things to kind of soothe you and get and decrease the stimulation in your brain. And it takes what about an hour, hour and a half to get a kid really ready to go to mm -hmm. sleep. And you flip up the lights and they go to sleep. Why do we think we don't need that anymore? <laughs> of course, we still need that as adults. Um, and so there has to be some sort of bedtime ritual. Um, and there's, compens you know, there's compensatory ways. There's ways to, you know, to keep working closer to bedtime, but they're not ideal. But the real way is to come as close to approximating that as possible. Super, super simple. If you're motivated to do that, you know, 
get on the Google and just start searching out, uh, you know, nighttime ritual, sleep hygiene, whatever. It's not a complex thing to say, here's the way I'm going to decrease the light in my eyes. And here's how I'm going to decrease the amount of stimulation in my brain. And I'm going to do it this amount of time before I go to bed. And then I'm going to get up at this time. And then, uh, you know, sort of a good way to enforce that is to have an alarm clock for time to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just as important as the alarm clock for time to wake up. So, um, you know, when you, if, if you set an alarm to get up in the morning to go to work, you don't just blow that off and say, no, nah, I'm more interested in sleeping. Um, so if, when you're time to get ready for bed, alarm clock goes off, you don't say, well, I'm just going to keep watching the show because I'm really more into this than I am to sleeping right now. If you have to take it just as seriously, mm -hmm. one of the, one of the rules I tell my clients is, um, if you really feel like you have to stay up late for something, you have give yourself this test. Would you be willing to set your alarm an hour earlier and get up and do it in the morning? Mm. So if you want to watch one more episode of your favorite show, that's 45 minutes long, set your alarm 45 minutes early and get up and watch that show before work. You're not going to do it. Everybody knows you're not yeah. going to do it because it's a dumb thing to do. And it's easy to make bad decisions when you're, at the end of the day, when your brain's working the worst, like right before you go to sleep, that's when your, you know, your neurocognitive functioning is just going down and down and down your prefrontal cortex, executive functioning, your ability to plan and predict what's most likely to happen based on your actions and to go after what you want. That's all in this area of your brain that sucks at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be like scheduling out your business plan and then saying, all right, now let's get drunk and reevaluate mm -hmm. it. No, like you make the plan when you're when you're sober and everything's clear in your mind and then you stick to it when you don't feel like it and that's what discipline is mm -hmm. right it's like doing what you decided to do long after the motivation to do it has gone that's what makes you successful Absolutely. right so yeah. before we talk about the formulation i wanted to touch on two things that you mentioned earlier um one is is sleep drugs and the second is peptides uh just no. maybe briefly, uh, in terms of just an overview, why sleep drugs are a bad idea. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so basically, um, I, I don't, I don't claim to be smarter than William Dement, but what I added to his definition and and my lectures and, and presentations and writing and all that. Um, you have there has to be a barrier between you and your environment. You have to be able to be awakened. And then there has to be predictable, uh, temporal or you know, time-related um, brainwave patterns. That's how we know what stage of sleep you're in, mm -hmm. right? And if you have unpredictable brainwave patterns that aren't following in any sort of um, you know, any sort of, if there's no predictable pattern to them, and if there's, there's no organization to these brainwaves, that's not sleep. Mm -hmm. It's something other than being awake. It's something it's in the realm of being unconscious. Um, but it's not sleep because sleep has very succinct steps and there's a reason for each phase of sleep and very specific things happen in each phase of sleep. And so if your brainwaves are all over the place, that stuff's not mm -hmm. happening. If, you know, there's a little bit happening here and there, but that's not sleep. And what the problem is, is that all sleep drugs, every single sleep drug out there, uh, including alcohol and over-the-counter stuff, you know, uh, all, you know, all the Benadryl products that 
that um you know that i think night night i don't remember the names of them but if you go to cvs and you buy some sort of nighttime sleep age uh, uh nighttime sleep aid uh it, it's diphenhydramine which is it's benadryl mm-hmm. um and it's an antihistamine and histamine is one of the weight promoting neurotransmitters in your brain and it just works on that one thing if you take something like gaba the um or not gaba if you take something like uh, ambien or lanesta those work on the GABA system. And I was telling you about GABA is that molecule that kind of makes it harder for your brain to pay attention. And those things bind to those receptors, to GABA receptors with about a thousand times more affinity than GABA. And then they have 10 to a hundred thousand times more effect. So what they're doing is they're just completely shutting off your Mm -hmm. brain. It's just like shutting down your neocortex to where you can't be alert. It's not an option. Mm -hmm. Now, you might actually look alert. You might be up playing video games, but you don't know it. You won't remember yeah. it because you're dissociated. Um, so alcohol um, alcohol damages uh, deep sleep more than REM sleep, mm-hmm. um, but it does both. Um, sleep drugs damage REM sleep more than deep sleep, but it damages both. Um, Benadryl damages both of them pretty equally. Or when I say damage them, just you know, diminishes them as the more appropriate word. Uh, CBD and CBD and THC. Um, I think CBD is, uh, affects, yeah, CBD affects, um, deep sleep, which is the physiological repair hormonal mm-hmm. stuff, uh, more and THC affects REM sleep more. And then THC also, uh, has a really, really, really rapid habituation, meaning that if half a milligram of THC will help you go to sleep, 10 days from now, you're going to need like five milligrams. Then a month from now, you're going to need like so 20 the tolerance is pretty. Um, so it, it, it's not a great sleep aid for long term. Now, any of these things are better than no sleep. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about like your, um, your entrepreneurs that are getting jet lag flying across multiple time zones, and, and there's just no way that they're actually going to sleep during this time period if they don't use some sort of sleep drug or, you know, pretty significant sleep aid, that's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're very bad, uh, medium to long-term strategy. You know, they're okay for some short-term mitigation stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the sleep industry, unfortunately, well, the pharmaceutical industry, unfortunately is, is getting their butts kicked with sleep drugs right now. Cause there's a lot of bad, uh, research coming out. Um, and it's not surprising if you really understand a little bit about sleep and that, um, people who take sleep drugs, uh, and what the medical community calls a chronic fashion, which is more than six months mm-hmm. of consecutive use. Um, of course, the reason they're taking it that much is because they have insomnia or they're getting poor sleep for more than six months at a time. Right. So they're, so they're taking these sleep drugs in this, you know, very consistent pattern and they end up having the same health risk as people who don't take the sleep drugs, but have chronic insomnia. Um, so like the world health organization has classified, um, shift work as a type two, a carcinogen, which was the same thing that cigarettes were. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that it's bad for your health and people who work shift work, I think I, I, it's been a while since I read the article, but for a significant portion of their careers, if they're working shift work, um, and you see this with a lot of first responders, 
um, law enforcement firefighters to a really large degree, they die about 16 years earlier wow. than people who don't do shift work. Mm-hmm. Turns out that people who have lifelong chronic insomnia die about 16 years earlier. And it turns out that people who take chronic sleep drugs, you know, who take sleep drugs chronically die about 16 years because it's all the same group, mm-hmm. right? They aren't getting sleep. They aren't getting enough sleep. They're not getting sleep at the right time. And basically everything that we associate with being older, with aging, which is really just being dumber, fatter, slower, colder, uh, and having a worse memory, um, you know, um, you know, all of, all of that is really highly tied to sleep. So if you see, if you see, you can just like take a picture of somebody and I've done this in my lectures You take a picture of a 25 year old girl, college girl. And then you have her stay up for 24 hours and you can take another picture of her and she looks 10 years older. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the hormones affects the collagen in your skin It affects the, you know, the melanocytes in your skin, which affects the pigmentation. It affects, you know, your muscle mass, it affects your sensitivity to, and you know, your insulin sensitivity, your leptin sensitivity, all of the stuff which shifts your body composition, you lose muscle, you gain fat, you lose collagen, your, you know, your melanocytes, uh, you, know, you lose volume of those and production of those, your hair starts going gray, your skin starts getting splotchy. And this is what we call being older. And sleep is the best defense against that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, it's not a big surprise that people who don't sleep die sooner mm-hmm. in a chronological sense because physiologically they're just a hell of a lot older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. want to pick your brain on peptides if you're willing to go down this wormhole. It seems I, I will go down to the extent I can. Um, it's an area that I'm really passionate about and I'm studying with some really you know, some of the top guys in the world I'm studying that with right now, Mm. I'm not one of those guys, but I can talk to it to the extent that I can talk to it. So peptides for use in bettering sleep, are you, can you make a comment on that? Because there's things like deep sleep inducing peptide that. Yeah. So like, yeah, DSIP tends to work for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing with that is it's like, to me, that's like, uh, that's like Ambien or that's like alcohol or mm-hmm. something like that is it's kind of a pharmacological trick in that you're increasing this one peptide to what we call a super physiologic level. So it's not, it's not a normal level. Your body would never produce this amount. And so you, you're kind of doing this trick and honestly, the results I've seen clinically and then people I've trained with who have, have, you know, been doing this for years, they, their results seem about the same as mine. It only works about 25% of the time. Okay. Um, maybe 25% of the people say, hell yes. And 25, 25% of the people say, Hmm, eh, kinda. And then 50 or 50% like nothing. No, like absolutely not. So, um, it, if you're lucky enough to be one of those 25%, it's, probably great sleep. I haven't seen sleep studies, but I mean, the subjective reports is that people feel like they slept like they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, now there's lots of, um, there's lots of other things that help though. Um, you know, something we haven't really had time to go into and it's probably just beyond the scope of what we could talk about on a podcast, but the hormonal, like all this hormonal regulation, like every, 
every hormone that's important to your body is really being balanced out during the first four to five hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And then that's setting up for the whole day. So there's lots of, there's lots of uh, peptides now that are designed to optimize the function of your pituitary, say to secrete multiple uh, hormones into And what they're essentially doing is they're just, they're boosting the function of your brain to do what it ordinarily is doing in that stage. Mm -hmm. And so these things like secretagogues that are, people are really using to increase their growth hormone because there's so many steps back in the pathway, you know, what they're actually doing, uh, the ghrelin mimetics and the secretagogues, what they're actually doing is they're pushing that cast, that hormonal cascade that's associated with sleep. It's kind of pushing that forward. It's just like giving it kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's initiating, it's help initiating the cascade. And, in, and at certain ages, it's probably um, enhancing that uh, production quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. When you're younger, I doubt it's, I doubt the overall production would change a whole lot. Um, but the, when you, at what times you did it. And basically you've heard the adage, like it's better to go to sleep early that, you know, that, it's better to go to sleep early and wake up early than it is to go to sleep late and wake up later. Mm-hmm. And and that's because of, that's because of the hormone production. That's because of the pituitary gland, you know, all, well, hypothalamus and pituitary and all of that regulation, weight promoting your transmitter in your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all gets, it all gets heavily moshed with. So, um, Sounds like a, the, a fascinating follow-up episode because yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. we can't go into all of that here. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think the, I think the overall the overall message there though is that really what regenerative medicine is, right? So so we have traditional medicine which treats disease, um, and maybe for the last ten years or so, we've seen a pretty big increase in you know performance based or health optimization, right? Where people are. Um, they're, they're not just concerned with disease. They want you to perform as bet, you know, to your, your highest potential right now. Well, what about everything that happened before? Yeah. Like, you know, if you start doing this at 50, like what about everything you did to yourself for the first 50 years? And that's what regenerative medicine really is, right? It's like, we're, we're doing our best to repair damaged tissues, you know, everything from ligaments and tendons to neurons and, and, uh, you know, hormonal, uh, you know, pathways in your brain. And so the regenerative medicine, I believe has the potential, uh, you know, to kind of pull that clock back and allow you to get the type of sleep you would have gotten maybe in your thirties, if you had good sleep hygiene, you know, if you're in your fifties now, maybe it's, you get sleep like you were in your thirties, you're probably not going to get your teenager kind of sleep back again, you know? Um, but I, I really think that that's, um, we're probably going to find that every single peptide helps with sleep because almost 100% of all recovery happens during sleep. Mm -hmm. So if they're helping with recovery, if they're helping with repair of any tissue in your body, they have to be doing it during sleep. So they're probably all going to end up uh, being helpful. Um, Makes sense. And and, and I, I think specifically the ones uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of maybe three or four, um, something like cerebral spinal and spinal, um, uh, RHI three, I think, uh, like there's some that are associated with, um, 
uh, and Selenac is the nasal one. They, and what they do is they is they're decreasing the oxidative damage and inflammation in the brain and allowing neurons to repair faster. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the part of the purpose of sleep and part of what you do during sleep is you're detoxing your brain, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're flushing out cerebral spinal fluid and you're getting new cerebral spinal fluid in. And you're getting rid of all these waste products, all these cellular waste products. And so the less oxidation, like less oxidative damage you have and the better your sort of your brain cells are working, the more you're going to flush out, which means sleep is just that much more successful. Um, and, you know, that's one of the very first things that happens. And so if, if that, uh, say, flushing system doesn't work very well, the whole rest of your night, doesn't matter what else, like how perfect everything else is, it's still not going to be the best recovery you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really key component. And I think that, again, I think that just about every – uh, peptide that's out there right now, it's going to end up being beneficial to some degree. And it'll really be if you sort of, you know, to be clear, like most people that I deal with don't have sleep problems mm-hmm. other than they don't value sleep. Yeah. And once we get them to value sleep, they can sleep. But when you start talking about people who have difficulty sleeping, even though they're really trying to sleep, again, I think we'll hone in over the next five years or so, we'll hone in on well, these peptides that we use for something that we're already trying to help you with, these will help with your sleep more if you have this kind of sleep issue, and these will help with your sleep more if you have that kind of sleep issue. Um, because there's a ton of overlap between what the peptides do, and we're just scratching the surface. I mean, I, mean, I, I think I can get maybe 50 or 60 from you know the, the primary pharmacy that sells those, and they've already – um, mapped out 700 or so. And there's already, and there's at least, you know, 3000 more that we don't know about. So it's a growing field. Um, but definitely if you can find, um, you know, if you can find a doctor who's smart in that area, which there aren't very many, (laughs) just honestly, it's just, it's a little too new. Um, but there, there aren't a whole lot of competent docs with that. But if you, if you can do that, it's all worth playing around with. So I, I think that, the possibility of them having a lot of negative downstream effects is pretty low. So I think it's a really promising area and I think it's going to help, but I don't think that there's anything right now that I've seen. And of course that was kind of the first area I dug into deep with peptides. I haven't seen anything that's like a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, Oh yeah, this will, this will definitely help you sleep. Um, Yeah. The SIP is marketed the most for that. I would say CJC is probably the one I've seen the most effect with effect with, and it's one of the secretagogues. It's not one of the better secretagogues, but it seems to help a lot with sleep. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, before we go on to the final four questions, I have to ask you about sleep remedy because you know, you created it. Uh, yeah. The sleep remedy, <clears throat> do you mind walking through a couple of the, the, well, the formulation in general, but one question that I get often is vitamin D, you know, at night, because right. uh, the sort of conventional thinking there is that it stimulates you to wake up. Do you mind walking through right. kind of vitamin D at night? Yeah, so I, I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten that argument quite a bit. Um, uh, there's no there's no data to support it anywhere, um, and I. And I, to me, it's self-evident as to why, although I could be wrong. I always deserve the right to be wrong. Um, 
But ingesting vitamin D3 is not the same thing as having the cells in your skin produce vitamin D3. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just like injecting yourself with testosterone is not the same thing as your testicles producing testosterone. It's a different mechanism. And the, uh, you know, 90 some odd percent of all the vitamin D3 in your body is stored in your fat cells anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're not using a whole lot of it. It's in your bloodstream all the time anyway. And so what, when you're taking my product, all we're, all we're doing is making sure that you have a reasonable amount in your blood. Um, because part of the, it's a cofactor in one of the steps of producing melatonin. Uh, you need magnesium and vitamin D3, um, to go from five hydroxytryptophan and to serotonin and then serotonin becomes melatonin. So if you're deficient in magnesium or you're deficient in vitamin D3, that step doesn't happen as well. You strip out serotonin to make more melatonin. Your serotonin level goes down. That leads to mood issues and, uh, you know, daytime fatigue and sleepiness and all that other stuff. So that's the reason for that. I'm actually, so I've actually reformulated the product. Uh, it's in production right now. So a few things have changed in it. Um, it's now actually closer to what I was giving the seals. So the whole reason this product existed was because I determined that the biggest problem that the seals were having was using sleep drugs every night. Mm-hmm. Well, what it, what are you going to do? Just like take them away and say, quit doing that. <laughs> like you, you have to, you have to give them something else. Right. So, um, so I just worked with a ton of really smart people and I, I did a lot of research as to like what, what types of things have been proven to help with sleep. And then I just worked with the seals individually, um, to adjust the, the dosages of everything. And all we're really trying to do is make sure that all of the substrates that are needed for that pathway to produce melatonin, like I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, and the GABA and decrease the stress hormones and all that stuff. We're just trying to make sure that all that stuff is there. Your brain still has to do the work, right? So I can't, I'm not making anything happen, right? I'm bringing the construction, like I'm bringing lumber to the construction site, but if your crew's gone, it's not going to help. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's people who have like some sort of sleep disorder. Um, but if you're just using it because, hey, I'm not actually ever going to spend three and a half hours getting ready for bed. So <laughs> let me super concentrate this stuff as though I have been getting ready for bed for three hours and see where it goes. And that's really what it's doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all the product really has in it is all, all of the substrates along the pathway to producing melatonin. Um, a very, very, very small dose of melatonin to be an initiator we don't want to give you so much that then your brain feels like you don't need to produce melatonin and then you quit making it or we give you so much that your brain kind of quits responding to melatonin as well. That has its own problem. So it's a very, very light dusting of melatonin for initiation. GABA in there for the GABA reasons. Um, L-theanine because that helps the sensitivity of GABA in the brain. And uh, phosphatidylserine, which decreases your adrenals production of stress hormones. You're doing some neck down stuff as well as brain up stuff. And that's, that's what I was actually giving the seals and they were having to go buy it all over town. And they just constantly were riding my ass to produce a product. So they didn't have to buy it from three different places. And, you know, it was really expensive and they, and of course they all came in different volumes and this was a powder and that was a liquid and this was capsules and this was, and yeah, this came in a 90 day and it was just a pain in the ass. So, 
I'm, I went to make it and it took me obviously a long time to figure out how to do that since I'm, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I have no training in producing supplements or running a business or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn all of that. Um, but it would, it would, it was just prohibitively expensive to put everything in there. Mm -hmm. So I did the best I could and it was a really good product. We have a much better product now, um, which is coming out, um, actually in about a month. Um, Perfect. Be very similar. It's going to be in the drink format. Um, some of the same flavors, some different flavors, but um, it, I, it it works much better. And it's uh, and we've gotten it down to kind of the price. <laughs> um, when I first started making the supplement, the, the original formulation, you know, before I was selling enough to really scale, production was really expensive. Um, and then as I scaled, I got production costs down pretty low to where the business was profitable. And now we've reformulated and it's about where it was the first time. Now it's, now it's really expensive <laughs> to produce again. And hopefully we can scale up again to kind of make that profitable, um, as well. And, 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 um, and there's, you know, there's, there's always new things out there and there's always, um, I'm, I'm always driven to kind of in, improve it a little bit, but you know, the customer is only going to tolerate so many changes before they just feel like you're, you're mad scientists like experimenting with them. So, um, we might like, we might do something slightly better in a couple of years or something. I don't know, but, um, I, for right now, I think it's a, it's a really good product. And like I said, it's just meant to do those two steps that I talked about that sleep hygiene is about. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just fodder for the, uh, for the cannon. You know, like it's whatever Kindle for the fire, whatever you want to hear metaphor you want to hear. That's it's perfect. And you know, I love sleep remedy. So thank you for creating it. Uh, Kirk, this has been an absolute pleasure. Now I want to transition into those final four rapid fire questions. And all right, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> so give them. Hit it. <laughs> so first question is: Is what's your top trick for enhancing your focus? Uh, for enhancing my focus, aside from sleep. Uh, well, yeah, we'll just assume that I'm always going to say sleep is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, where I would say my, um, I'd, I'd say my top one, like the one that I, the one that I focus the most on and I believe is the best solution is to, is to schedule myself, um, or, you know, have my team schedule me to where I'm doing the appropriate things at the appropriate time of day. Like that's the best thing for my focus. So in the morning I can grind through mundane crap, mm -hmm. but I, I can't be creative. I can't articulate myself very well. Like it's not, it's not a good time for me to be doing lots of other stuff. So scheduling the, the appropriate time of day for me and everybody's different, you know, whether you're an owl or a lark and you, you just have to kind of know yourself is like when you're really good at stuff and when you're really bad at stuff mm -hmm. um, and, and schedule a day around that. And then my, you know, my next trick is just like the same, the same old stimulants that everybody else has used, you know, like drink coffee. If I'm a little, if I'm a little overtired, I'll drink a little more coffee. Um, I'll use nicotine mints or, uh, um, or, you know, nicotine gum, you know, uh, very similar effects to caffeine, but doesn't have, doesn't interrupt sleep as much. Mm -hmm. um, but all that's really just kind of to be used when, 
uh, as, as a mitigation tool again, right? So it's like for me, every everything is about the sleep. lifestyle, and then every every everything else is like meant to compensate for your inability to live the ideal lifestyle for you, mm-hmm. you know, to do everything just right, just as, as in a reasonable request, of course, from, for almost everyone. So, um, that's, yeah, that's about it for me. Okay. I mean, scheduling my day. Well, um, there, there is now there's a lot of scientific literature that supports exercising in the morning will help with cognitive functioning. Um, I don't find that to be true for me. I mean, I work out about half the time in the morning, about half the time in the evening, I feel like I, I enjoy my workouts more in the evening. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that has been shown. And if I'm in, there is one thing that I do do. Um, if I'm, if I'm traveling or if it's just like uh, long, long winter nights, I, I will do the bright light uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Like when I first start working and I, you know, get out my, when I'm having my cup of coffee and I'm just kind of tinkering through crap work, um, I'll have that bright light therapy in there to help, increase my adrenals you know, awesome. function. How do you unplug? Um, I take a nap every day. Um, about a 30 minute nap every day. I meditate at least once a day. Um, just, I do transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. you know, just basically sitting in, sitting in a chair, try to get my body to fall asleep and keep my mind awake. Um, I try to do that at least, uh, once a day twice a day would be optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I guess at, at the end of my work days, um, I, I shift, I, I guess I shift from achievement mentality to connection mentality mm-hmm. really. So towards the end of my days when I'll start having my more social uh, business calls and when I'll be calling my friends and my family or, you know, visiting with friends or family or whatever and stuff like that. Um, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm not like a, I'm not a bar guy or happy hour guy or even really a restaurant guy. So, you know, just having casual conversations with friends and, you know, eating my evening meal and excellent, whatever glass of scotch now and then and beer now and then, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What book has significantly impacted your life and how you show up to perform in it? Oh man, <laughs> there's so there there are so so many books. Um, man, well, I I mean, I'll just go with kind of a few of the more recent ones that stand out. I mean, oh, Jesus, I mean, they're just they're, my head's flooding with them right now. Um, so, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. I think is a great book for uh, life balance resonates really well with me. Um, my, you know, just my kind of humor and language in that book. Um, I love uh, uh, King warrior magician. Uh, and that's, that comes as one book, but also it's like four separate books. Um, and that's really just about sort of our archetypal energy and how, you know, how you, how you show up and, and communications and personal interactions. Um, uh, no, you know, Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich, not not really so much for the business side of it, um, although it is helpful in that, but really just for the mindset. I mean, really what that book is about is like just taking control of your of your mental uh, processes and, and, uh, and applying discipline. 
most recently, I've, I, I love Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, and I'm currently going through his book on Audible, um, Maps of Meaning, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating book. But That was his first uh, book, right? Yeah. The much more and technical it, one? Yeah. It's so technical. <laughs> the language is so technical. I can't digest very yeah. much of it, honestly. <laughs> It's like two minutes at a time, especially on Audible. Yeah, it's like I can handle about five minutes and then I need to think about what he said for 30 minutes. So it's taken me a long time to get through that one. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of James Hollis's work has been a, applicable to me in the, like, the last three to five years. So I don't know if I narrowed that down at all, really, you know, but <laughs> yeah. kind of like, you know, all of, all of James Hollis's work around the middle passage of life because that's, you know, just kind of where I'm at right now, kind of shifting from the achievement mode to more of like, um, you know, more of the sovereign energy, more of the, more of the mentor type, um, you know, um, communication and, and, and relationship phase of life, uh, kind of past all of the accolades and trying to make money and build things and all that other stuff. So all of his work, a lot like Jordan Peterson's, you know, I can read about a page of it and then I just got to lay down and think about that mm-hmm. for, I mean, I, I guess that all pretty much boils down to kind of psychology book, you know, about, um, you know, internal processing of the, you know, uh, or awareness of the internal processing is how you're interpreting the world, the external world, what you're making that mean and how you're applying, um, you know, your prejudices and biases and how to avoid that type of stuff. Mm. Like that's the fascinating work for me right now brilliant and i'm sure you know bezos and amazon are going to thank you afterwards when i go and ring up ring up a nice bill with them but yeah uh where can people find out more about you uh docparsley.com d-o-c and then my last name parsley like there p-a-r-s-l-e-y p-a-r-s-l-e-y i always slur that because i've said it a million times um yeah docparsley.com is the easiest thing um there's links to like, there's a lot of links to other sites. Like if I've done guest blogs or lectures or videos or um, talks and whatever, those you can, you can access those from the site, even if they don't live on the site. So that's the easiest way to do that. Um, I have a very basic book. It's about um, kind of about sleep hygiene. Um, It covers a lot of what we talked about today. Um, but it's really meant for the lay audience. It's not meant to be super scientific. There's a few $12 words in there that I, you know, that I explain. I try to use a lot of metaphors and get away from the technical jargon. Um, but it, it, it gives people a pretty firm understanding of the, it's a like, it's only like 112 pages or something like mm-hmm. that. If you read that, you'll know more than 95% of healthcare professionals about sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll be able to digest it and hold on to it. Dirt cheap. I don't I like. It's not a. It, it wasn't a money play for me. It was really to keep me from having to answer the same fifty questions a million times. Yeah. Um. But you can buy. You can find that on Amazon. It's called Sleep to Win. Awesome. Well, Kirk, yeah. thank you t- so much for taking the time today. This has been absolutely incredible. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that I need to go dive down the wormhole on on peptides. But I really appreciate your time. To all the superhumans listening out there, have an absolutely epic day. Wow. Did you enjoy that one, Superhumans? I enjoyed the deep dive on sleep, and I especially enjoyed Kirk's perspective on the life of an entrepreneur, CEO, etc., and how to really place an importance on sleep. 
A couple of things that I'm gonna take away from this one, the two things that I need to do to optimize my sleep. I'm gonna talk a little bit more with so many other people, but also bring Kirk back on to talk about peptides. And I think my Amazon account's gonna hit a little ding pretty soon. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Doc Parsley. That's D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y. Thank you for tuning in, superhumans. If you enjoyed the episode, can you head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating? And if you'd like to send a comment, love to hear from you. Podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. Have an absolutely epic day.